Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. A sniglet is a silly, made-up term for something that hasn't been defined as a single word but perhaps ought to be. For example, intoxication. You know, that's the euphoria that you get at getting a tax refund before you realize that it was your money in the first place, right? <laughs> right, so right, right. I, yeah. okay. And what I particularly like about intoxication is that it defines a feeling because I think that when translating emotions, words really do fall short a lot of times. And I've been thinking about this, especially after an email we got from Christina Smith. She's from San Diego, and she sent us a link to something called Emotionary.com. And it's this whimsical collection of sniglets that specifically pertain to emotion, like uh, this one, exochism. Can you guess what exochism is? Exochism. Nope, no idea. That's the act of torturing oneself by thinking about the existence of or compulsively checking in X's Facebook and Twitter feed. Oh, you can't stop thinking about your X. Or um, how about epiphysteny? Epiphysteny. Yes. So some big revelation about something, but I can't quite make up the parts. Yeah, yeah, that's good. It's knowing that all your problems are smaller than you think, often due to gazing out at a vast space and realizing how large the earth is (laughs) in comparison to how small you are. Right. Yeah, I know that feeling. Yeah. So that's got tiny on the end. That's the the joined up word there, right? Yes. And I should just add that an epiphanase is the moment one realizes aioli and mayonnaise are exactly the same thing. (laughs) I remember that moment. remember that moment. And I know you can pronounce it Ioli too, so don't email us. (laughs) But do email us your questions about language. You can send them to words at waywardradio.org. And if you've got some sniglets of your own, cute little words about emotions or anything at all, send them along. Email, Twitter, you name it. Put them on Facebook or call us on the phone, 877-929-9673. Hi, you have a way with words. Hi, guys. This is Jeffrey from Cardiff-by-the-Sea, California. How are you? Hi, Jeffrey. Welcome. Hey, how you doing? Ah, good. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, sure. I'm having some marital difficulties. Uh-oh. And I've been trying to figure out what to do, and I have a coworker named Alicia who says, I've got two great marriage counselors for you. Their names are Martha and Grant, <laughs> and you need to talk to these people because they can solve any of your marital difficulties. Right. Tell my wife that. What kind of insurance do you have? So it concerns the way that I say a certain phrase. And my wife disagrees with the way I say it, and she is holding it against me and is threatening legal action. She says, when I go to visit my friend, let's say my friend Alicia, I say I'm going over Alicia's house. And she, of course, chimes right in and says, are you going to fly there on a broom? Are you on your broomstick? Uh, You should be saying, I'm going over to Alicia's house. Now, of course, I learned in school that uh, going over to is probably the correct usage. But I was wondering if I'm just crazy, if I'm a grammatical slob, or if other people in parts of the country say go over someone's house rather than say go over to someone's house. And can this marriage be saved? Well, I don't know. Is she she seriously? Let's ask the experts. I mean, she's not going to really divorce you, but is she? No, she's not going to. Does it really bother her, though? It does. It does really bother her. <laughs> Every time I say it, she goes, oh, are you a witch? Are you, a, are you Harry Potter? Are you going to get on your broom and fly <laughs> over their house? And how do you feel about what she says? <laughs> oh, it doesn't matter to me. You know, I always say, okay, okay I'm going over to Alicia's house. Is that better? And she says, yes, that's much better. So this is interesting, Jeff, because uh, I'm going to throw some jargon at you. Here it is. Locative preposition deletion. Okay. Or locative Ooh. prepositional deletion is c- kind of common in English. This is where we take out the prepositions that talk about direction or destination. And it's not that tied to very many dialects of English, but it pops up so frequently because prepositions are these little mushy parts of English that we can often do without and do. 
It's not that common. There are parts of Michigan where people do this and are known to do it. Oh, and the Northeast, too. Yeah, some parts of the Northeast. Um, it, it's on the record. It happens. I don't know. Where are you from, anyway? Are you from Cardiff-by-the-Sea? Well, no, I'm not. I actually just moved here very recently. Oh, uh, from my where? My wife and I, well, see, I grew up outside of Boston, outside of Worcester, in a little town called Paxton. Oh, okay. Uh, and then when I was pretty young, probably 11 or 12, I moved to Ohio, uh, northeast Cleveland, uh, and that's where I met my wife. We've been together for 13, going on 14 years now. Uh, and so this has been an issue for 13 going on 14 years now. Mm-hmm. The point here is that locative prepositional deletion happens in cases of minimal confusion. That is where people are unlikely to be confused if you leave the preposition out. Mm-hmm. Now, your wife is making a choice to pretend to be confused in order to make a joke <laughs> at your expense. And that's, I, I can't, you know, I can't fix her sense of humor. It's kind of one of those, <laughs> it's kind of one of those funny once things, maybe giggle the second time and the third time you just roll your eyes. But... <laughs> But the thing is, so there is minimal confusion here. She knows that you can't fly. You don't have a Nimbus 2000, right? No jet pack. You're not actually going over the house, like looking down into the chimney or anything. Mm-hmm. So she chooses <laughs> to misunderstand. Um, and the thing is, there is a little bit of evidence here that you may have picked something up in Boston in your idiolect. You may have picked this naturally from your environment because it, it's not uncommon anywhere in the English-speaking world to hear this. It's not that common. Mm-hmm. But um, we've, it's on the record. We have records of it. People do it. It's in the dialect handbooks. They say, oh, it happens. And then they so move it's not on. just yeah. me being sloppy. No, no, I don't think no. so. I mean, are you regional, sloppy? maybe. What about you? The thing is, just, the speech that you have with us right now sounds fine. You mm. don't sound like a sloppy speaker. <laughs> <laughs> so this is advice we could give to everybody. Liven up your marriage with some locative <laughs> prepositional deletion. And I have a feeling that that's what she does to keep things spiced up a little bit. You know, it's been 14 mm-hmm. years. I right. have a feeling that we're going to stay together for quite a long time. You should add, uh, you should add prepositions, though. They don't belong to. I love, I, I love to you. <laughs> I love to you. Oh. I love on you. <laughs> well, I think it sounds like you have a very healthy relationship and a rosy future. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And thanks for uh, all your help with that. I'll make sure to let her know that I'm right and she's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Jeff. Now, wait a minute. Okay. Thanks, Jeff. Have a great day, Take guys. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Email words at waywardradio.org, on Twitter as Wayward, and all over Facebook. Something I recorded in my Commonplace book a long time ago came from a Singapore newspaper. And their website doesn't exist anymore, but I still have this clipping on my computer. And I wanted to share this with you. This is a fictional report about a Japanese banking crisis, okay? Okay. Following last week's news that the Origami Bank had folded, we are hearing that Sumo <laughs> Bank has gone belly up and Bonsai Bank plans to cut back some of its branches. <laughs> Karaoke Bank is up for sale and is going for a song. Meanwhile, shares in Kamikaze Bank have nosedived and 500 back office staff at Karate Bank got the chop. Analysts report fishy going-ons at Sushi Bank, and Steph fear they may get a raw deal. <laughs> so, I don't like puns, but that was quite nice. That was terrific. <laughs> We'd love to hear your wacky stories, your weird tales, your odd jokes. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hello, this is Shannon calling from Cardiff, California, just north of San Diego. Hey, Shannon. Welcome to the show. Hi, I know Shannon. Cardiff. What's up? Well, I have a question for you guys. Okay. Uh, I work at a large public university near here, and I was at a recent staff meeting, and our boss said that every campus unit should be a tub on its own bottom. And I understood the context, but I was curious about the origin of that phrase. What did you take it to mean? Well, I assumed it meant being self-sufficient and that we were expected to pay our own way. Right. But I don't know where it came from. And Shannon, what are you picturing? (laughs) Well, I thought it had something to do with a boat because I thought of a tub and a boat. But my colleague thought it had maybe was the the claws on a bathtub. So I thought, I know where to go with this question. Interesting. So "Hmm." each tub should stand on its own bottom. Yes. Oh, so what kind of person was this? Was a history professor, somebody who had a little bit of background and... 
literature or religion? Anybody well, special? Well, she's a sociology professor, but also uh, one of the vice chancellors at the university. Okay. Okay. Well, there's there's at least 400 years of history behind this term. It turns <laughs> out. Yeah. And what the tub refers to is not a boat and not a bathtub, but the kind of cask or barrel that you might put wine or or vinegar in or liquid in. Oh. And so that used to be called a tub, and. I don't understand why each tub has to stand on its own bottom. Perhaps uh, when they're on top of one another and in the back of a wagon, they would fall over or the weight (laughs) would be too much. Or I I don't really know. But that has been the expression for a long time. But a more general form of this, that each person should stand on their own bottom. Each one should stand on their own bottom. Because bottom has historically meant foundation or base or the underpinnings of something. Huh. Okay. So this was a reference to the university and different units in the university standing independently of each other? Yes, or bringing in enough revenue to support their function. Right. So you've yeah. got to you've got to raise all your own grant money for your department and your programs and you're not going to siphon off a little bit from de- another department somewhere else. That's correct. Okay. Yeah. We prefer we not do that. <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting that you're using it in an academic setting because it was popularized in the early 1800s by the president of Harvard. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, who use that expression. And indeed, these days at Harvard, they have the acronym ETOB, which is each tub on its own bottom. Ah, well, that explains a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think it got uh, picked up by academics all over the country. One oh. interesting aspect to this you might appreciate, Shannon, is that in the 1600s, this was used in religious texts. And you can find examples on Google Books. But the meaning there was just a little different. And what, what they meant was... Each tub on its own bottom meant that when you have a, a religious perspective and beliefs, then you should adhere to them and not try to um, disavow parts of your religion or disavow what your church is telling you to do. If you are a Catholic, you are a Catholic. If you are something else, you are something else. And in this way, you depend upon the basis and the foundation of those who have come before you in your religion. Hmm. So it's just a slight, slight variation on, on the meaning there. But in general, each one should stand on their own bottom. <laughs> Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, sure. Yeah, who knew it went all the way back to Pilgrim's <laughs> Progress? And I know, and wine like barrels. And yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you both. I appreciate it. Sure. Thanks, Shannon. Bye-bye. Right. Have a good day. Bye, Shannon. Bye-bye. 877-929-9673. You remember when? We're talking about that expression, order in the court, the monkey wants to speak, mm-hmm. that thing that parents would use to make their kids be quiet. We heard from Deanna Smith-Willis, who lives in Natchitoches, Louisiana. She learned one from her grandfather in the 1940s. He was chief justice of the Court of Civil Appeals in San Antonio, Texas. And she says, my grandmother was horrified when she heard him teaching me, order in the court, the judge wants to spit, all who can't swim better get. <laughs> that would clear a room, wouldn't it? <laughs> I wonder if he actually said it from, from, from the bench. <laughs> Do you think he did? I don't know. We can look at the records. You never know. Some people. <laughs> Share your family language stories with us, 877-929-9673. Send them an email to words at waywardradio.org. And you can find us anytime on Facebook and Twitter. Or Words on Parade as Away with Words continues. Hey, we've got something special for those of you who love our show but could do without the ads. That's right. Imagine Away with Words, the same engaging conversations, the same deep dives into language without advertising interruptions. We're talking about our ad-free podcast feed. It's sleek, clean, and it's just for our supporters. It's at waywardradio.org slash ad-free. It's inexpensive, easy to sign up for, and works with all major podcast apps like Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It's an affordable way to support the show and get a seamless listening experience. And if you're feeling generous, why not give a subscription to another Away With Words fan? That's waywardradio.org slash adfree. Sign up today. Your support means the world. waywardradio.org slash adfree. Thank you. 
You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett. And joining us is John Chinesky, our quiz guy. Hello, John. Hi, Grant. Hi, Martha. Hiya, John. What's up? I'm, I'm back for some more puzzles. What Excellent. do you think? Should we do? Please. Yes. Let's, e- do. let's do. Let's Good. do. Easy ones, right? <laughs> Hard ones? Well, this one is, uh, let's, let me put it this way. This one is just okay. Okay. In fact, okay. that's what I call it. I call it just okay. Okay. This is a puzzle that I <laughs> adapted from an idea by Will Shorts. <laughs> His puzzle is great. Mine is just okay. In fact, okay is the key to the puzzle. Hmm. I'll give you a word. You add O and K to the letters of the word and transpose them to get the answer. Okay. So, so a little bit of anagramming here. Plus a little bit of anagramming. So, okay. so get your pencils out if you need okay. to. Okay. okay, got it. For example, if I said car, C-A-R, you would add okay to that, transpose the letters and get what word? Croak. Croak. Perfect. Very well done. Let's try some more. All we'll right. start with five-letter words. The word son, S-O-N. Knock. No. No. Mm, nooks. 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 Very yeah. good. Very good. Let's try the word dry, D-R-Y. Um... Hmm. It's it's an adjective describing someone who's rather socially inept. Dorky. Dor- <laughs> Dor- dorky is right. Very right, good. I did get that first. <laughs> <laughs> I'm used to it. Let's try the word rep, R-E-P. Plus OK equals? Poker. Poker, yes. Very good. The word now is net, N-E-T, net. Token. Token is correct. Very nice. Finally, for the five letters, we have sly, S-L-Y. Yolks, as in yolks. Yolks is correct. Ah. I can hear the, ge- the gears turning. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. Sulky? What? Let's move on to the six-letter words. Get ready. Okay. Ween, W-E-A-N. W-E-A-N. Plus OK. Is... Hmm. No. <laughs> it describes someone in the morning. Awaken. Mm. No, awoken. Awoken is right. Very good. <laughs> How about the the uh, the award known as the Obie? O-B-I-E. O-B-I-E. Plus OK bookie? equals? A bookie. Bookie. Very good. Someone who might take bets on the Obies. Very good. The word deco, D-E-C-O, plus OK equals? Cooked. Very good. Veer, V-E-E-R, plus OK. Hmm. Revoke? Revoke is right. Let's do another place name on the six letters. Tape, T-A-P-E, plus OK equals? Equals. Topeka. Topeka Ah. is correct. Good. Okay, we're going to do one last one. I like this one because it's very, uh, well, it's very funny. I think you should get it pretty quickly. Yeah. The word jester plus okay equals jokester. Jokester, oh, yes, very not good. A lot of change. All right, you jokesters, yeah. I'm finished. I'm All right, done. Dude. you guys That's are good. great. Thanks, John. Really appreciate it. We'll see you next week, right? Great stuff. See you then. Bye bye. All right, take care now. Call us if you'd like to talk about language, 877-929-9673, or send us an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Liz Whittle. I'm calling from Grand Prairie, Texas. Hi, Liz. I have a question for y'all. Hey, what's up? How you doing? Welcome to the show. Thanks. So, growing up in, uh, like, north central west Texas, my mom, when she was telling a story, and I, and I do the same thing, um, she'd be telling this story, and it's along, involved all the details and everything, just like this. And then at some point, she would, you know, end the story, and she didn't say, and that's how it went. She'd say, anywho, and go on to the next topic. So um, I've always wondered, why does she do that? And the other day, I actually heard somebody either on TV or on the radio do the same thing, and I thought there's got to be an origin for this. It started out somewhere. Where did it originate? I love it. It's good. I use it myself. <laughs> oh, and, good. And you've, you framed it exactly right. These days, we use anywho when we kind of want to either just kind of sum up what we've just said and kind of just give the quick line that kind of ends the whole conversation or when we want to change the topic. So particularly right, if somebody has right. an awkward moment, right? You know, they're talking about your ex and you're like, anywho, as I was saying about the <laughs> yeah. pool. Like, 
So it started out as a dialect representation of Irish speech. There was uh, people would write it in print as if people in Ireland were saying it that way. And maybe they were, maybe they weren't. But it was like anywho was supposedly a dialect pronunciation. But now, mostly in the United States, North America, Canada included, we use it as a, a falsely sophisticated way to say anyhow. We are intentionally mispronouncing yeah. the word. And you'll even see sometimes people get a little prim look on their face when they say it, kind of like a school teacher's kind of, I don't know, looking down their nose at you sort of appearance. Look for that next time you see right. someone say it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a little bit self-conscious then? You're like aware that you've been telling a story? Yeah. Yeah. You're going on and on. Mm-hmm. And anywho, yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. anywho, back to you, Liz. <laughs> So your mother, yes, your that's mother, exactly how she would do it. Your mother says this, right? Right. Okay. Well, good. and now all of us say it, of course. Yeah, it's uh-huh. incredibly widespread. It's very common throughout the United States. So, I, if you don't mind, I have another question. A for two you. for from Liz. Bring it on. Okay, so I grew up in a little bitty town, and what I didn't realize, you know, until you leave that town, is that my family, especially, we call them Glassfordisms. So my maiden name is Glassford. And we would just say this stuff, and, and so some of it we knew uh, was a Glassfordism, but when I got to, when I left town, uh, I would say, if I was looking at, at something and it was shoddy or not well-made or whatever, I'd say, that's such a cheap John deal. And uh, I didn't realize it, and of course, until I left town, that I think, I don't know if that is a common phrase, and my friends just weren't aware of it, or if that really was one of our family things that um, we were the only ones that said that. So what do you think? You are not alone. It's actually fairly widespread. And it's well known enough that it's it's in the slang dictionaries dating back from the late 1800s when it can refer to a pawnbroker shop or it could refer to any kind of cheap store, what we might call a 99 cent store today. Or it could just refer to the kind of person who shops in those places who is um, miserly and uh, spends their money unwisely on really cheap things just because they're too cheap to buy the proper quality. So just a generic guy named John. Yeah, I believe that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just John is kind of like your stand in for buddy Mac pal guide dude, whatever. Just John is just your throwaway default person. Cheap John. I've never heard that. Yeah, me neither. I'm surprised. You still use this. I'm well, on, I only know it from the dictionary. my family because nobody else seems to be aware of it, but when we say it, we all know what we mean. You know how that goes. Yeah, sure. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it's widespread. It's uh, It shows up. It's mainly in the United States, but it, it shows up again and again in, the, in recorded history over the last 200 years. You know what? Uh, just telling folks that I was going to call in it's amazing what nice little phrases and stuff that everybody had that they we all had to talk about it. So I love y'all's show. Thank and you, I'm Liz. so glad I got to call in. You know, you should have everyone that you've been talking to about the show send in their questions, too. Maybe we'll get them on. Okay, I will do that. All right. I'll be all happy right. to do it. Take Let's care now, Liz. Best of luck to okay, you. Okay, thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. Anywho. So call us and goof with us about language, 877-929-9673. Or you can send an email to words at waywardradio.org and find us on Facebook and Twitter. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Mary. Hi, Mary. Where are you calling from? I'm calling from Dallas. Dallas, well, welcome to the show. I had noticed a new word showing up at work. We had some changes where new people were coming in. And this buzzword that I call buzzword started showing up called cadence. And it seemed a very odd word to me. And they were talking about business cadence, organization cadence, and I didn't know what it meant. And so I was just really curious as to where it came from and how these things come out. So the word is cadence, C-A-D-E-N-C-E, cadence. Mm -hmm. Yes. This is a buzzword that's catching on in business, referring to, say, scheduling or the regular release of products. It has that sort of rhythmic cadence Mm -hmm. like a drum. And um, it may have been popularized by IBM, which was Uh. using this term back in the uh, 90s. Um, They they wrote a big paper, in fact, called about chaos to cadence. And it had to do with taking the world of sales, which can be sort of like the wild west of business because you have to be very nimble and uh, innovative and resourceful. And and sales was kind of regarded as as unruly and uh, not very disciplined. And so there was uh, a movement within IBM to go from chaos to cadence. And that is making things much more regularized, developing metrics for reporting 
the results of sales and that kind of thing. And it seems like cadence has caught on in the business world. It's caught on enough that people are grumbling about it on the Internet as being <laughs> overused jargon. Oh. So. Yeah. I had never heard it before and not in our company. And it was just something that seems to have popped up and now everybody's trying to use it. Yeah. And are people rolling their eyes there? Are they grumbling about it or are they embracing um, it? A couple of us are, have looked at each other to say, like, what is this? Mm-hmm. I actually like the word cadence. There's something very comfortable to me about it. It's It feels very secure. It's like you could just sort of lean back into it and have it support you somehow. The, it, it, to me, I guess it's about getting organized and doing okay. something on a regular basis. It sounds like one of those so it's things... It's not that, about an offbeat drum. It's more about a steady drum. Right, right. And it's about everybody marching to the same drummer, for and sure. And having the same targets. Everybody knows yeah. where they need to be. They know uh, what the next step yeah, is, what the next focused. note is. Yeah, Yeah. So each, instead of all these different silo operations operating on their own terms, their own time. Yeah. Very interesting. Well, Mary, thanks for calling about this. I bet there are going to be all these people who, you know how when you hear a word for the first time and then you start hearing it everywhere, <laughs> there's going to be this steady cadence of cadence <laughs> out there in the world for them. So thank you for calling. Thank you. Thanks, right. Mary. Take care now. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. What business jargon is buzzing around your office? Call us about it, 877-929-9673. And here's a linguistic mystery that came to us from Sam Moore from Salem, Ohio. He writes, My wife was reading a Conan Doyle book, and it described a man as, quote, wearing a gray suit and carrying a brown wide-awake. I looked it up and found that a wide-awake is a soft, low-crowned, wide-brimmed hat, also known as a Quaker hat. But why is it called a wide-awake? A wide-awake. Yeah. And if you want to picture this hat, picture the guy on the Quaker oatmeal box. You know how his hat looks? Uh, kind of floppy? Is it floppy? Uh, or is it firm? It's, it's kind of firm, and it's got kind of a flat top and a mm-hmm, brim. Mm-hmm. But the key here, it's really, really smooth, mm-hmm. and therefore it doesn't have a nap. It doesn't have a nap, so it's a wide-awake hat. That's really the <laughs> Are origin. Are you sure? Yes, that's it. I was imagining that it had something to do with uh, sitting in Quaker meetings where everyone is silent. <laughs> is and napping. Like, yeah, yeah, well, the hat like somehow oh, keeps poke, him away. pokes you or cuts you if you, yeah. if you start leaning over. It I don't know. It has little thorns in it or something. A wide-awake hat. Oh, very interesting. Yeah, you can find references <laughs> in literature to uh, wide-awake. Which Conan Doyle story was that? Was that one of the Sherlock Holmes mysteries? I don't remember that. I don't know. Oh, Another mystery. Maybe i got to go reread them. Yeah, Sam, let us know. And let us know your language questions, 877-929-9673, or you can send them an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hey there, this is Tyson from Seattle. Hi, Tyson. Welcome. What can we help you with? Well, uh, I'm in grad school studying to become a counselor, and uh, I'm taking this class on Introduction to Counseling Children and Adolescents. Um, And since I'm in school, all of our assignments are at least 10 years out of date uh, as far as readings are concerned. So they they use some terms that are a little um, outdated. And since we're reading about teenagers, uh, we came across the marijuana use. Uh, And the thing that I noticed was that a lot of the authors would call it smoking dope. And um, I'm, I'm 24, but all my life, whenever I've heard someone use that term, smoking dope, it was always an indicator that they were, like, old and out of touch and had no idea what they were talking about. Um, and maybe they were fronting, you know, <laughs> maybe they were faking it. Um, so that got me thinking, uh, first of all, is this a regional thing or is this a generational thing? Second, when did that change? When did smoking dope become not marijuana? And also, is is this a common phenomenon where uh, where older slang terms aren't just out of date? They're also indicators of of sort of of being out of touch. So Tyson, this is really interesting. So if if I talked about kids smoking dope, you would think that I was an old fogey. I wouldn't be credible. Uh-huh. Yeah. Are you certain that, that it's all about marijuana and not also about opium or, or something else? Yeah, yeah. In, in the readings, it, it's always in reference to marijuana. And, and in my life, dope is pretty much exclusively a reference to steroids. Ah, okay. Hmm. Very good. 
Well, dope has got a long and complicated history here, and it's not easy to dispense with it, no pun intended. But it has met a variety of drugs over the long history of the word. It has met hash. It's met opium. It met, it's met heroin. It's met marijuana. It's met just plain old medicine. It's met butter. It's met coffee. It's met the kind of drugs that you might give a racehorse. It has met steroids. Dope is used for any kind of substance that somehow affects the recipient in a noticeable or excitable way. Um, that's it. Some way that like you get a positive or uh, uh, enthusiastic response from the person. And dope has been used for the chemicals that you use on canvas airplanes. It's been used to, to apply to any kind of substance in a, that gets smeared on anything else. Dope is, is one of the incredible, incredibly diverse words. It began to be used in marijuana in probably the 1940s and has been used for marijuana ever since. But as you say, it's a little bit marked now. And because of the diverse meanings of dope, it depends completely upon who you are, what you think the primary meaning of dope is. And so it might be intergenerational, but because you come from a world where steroids maybe are something that people talk about or that you read about, um, then maybe for you, dope is primarily meaning steroids. But somebody in their 50s, who was my, my father, who was a cop, he's actually in his 70s, he would say dope. He wouldn't say pot when he was talking about marijuana. And maybe it's intergenerational, but it's also because he's a cop and that's mm. part of their lingo. Yeah, I would, I would say dope. Yeah. Whoops. No, but uh, so, but there, so it could be intergenerational, but it might be the opposite of what you think as well. People who are using dope for marijuana might have a deeper, a deeper kind of repository of the variety of meanings of dope and not just the one. Gotcha. It's kind of complicated. Okay. You know, there is one really great example of another word that's made a transformation, and this one is even a more thorough transformation than dope, and this is the word stoned. What, for you, okay. what does stoned mean? Uh, high. High as a kite. High on what? Uh, gosh. Yeah, marijuana. Marijuana, right. But to people primarily born before 1970, it meant drunk. Really? Yeah, stoned used to mainly oh. mean drunk. And that somewhere in the late 60s, early 70s, it started transforming. And now stoned mainly means high on marijuana. And so we do find this is really common with slang words. They do transform. They're, they're, not, as, they're, they're not as sticky. Their meanings tend to be more flexible. They tend to pass through the, um, the brain and, um, and take on new nuance depending on the group, depending on the person. Tyson, I'm curious, what do you call marijuana? Uh, weed or pot. Weed or Mostly pot. weed. Weed yeah. or pot. What you about don't... grass? Yeah, no, not really. Hmm. What about trees? Um, well, only on the internet. Only on the internet. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> trees. Wait, fill me in here. Trees, marijuana, trees. Do you smoke trees or well, do you? It's it's a lot of it's, it's kind of like 420. It's a little bit of a code for marijuana. Oh, okay. So you can use it in a variety of contexts. Yeah. Okay. We're gonna go get some trees. Okay. You might not say I smoke trees, right. but you might talk about having trees. My new girlfriend is an arborist. <laughs> no. Something like that. No. Okay. <laughs> But, Just yeah, wondered. but it is one of the ways to, to circle this conversation around and try to wrap this up. What we're really talking about here is how we use language to decide who is included in our group and who is excluded. Mm -hmm. And in your mind, people who say dope and mean marijuana are kind of not a part of your group. And you found a way to, to distinguish that. It's really mm -hmm. We do this with so many words, and slang in particular is prone to this. This is how we decide who belongs and who doesn't, who's in, who's out, who's cool, who's square. Yeah. Who's high? Who's not? <laughs> you don't sound high, Tyson. Thanks for calling I, straight oh, instead of high. Thank you so much. All right. <laughs> appreciate it. Take care. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. Got a minute? We need your help. Head over to gum.fm slash words and share your thoughts in our quick survey. Your feedback matters. It's the backbone of our show's success. Thanks for making our show even more successful. That's gum.fm slash words. Thank you. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. Amanda Cruel of Knoxville, Tennessee, wrote us to say that she has a weird thing happening and she wonders if she's the only one. Amanda learned French about 10 years ago, and now she's learning German. But here's the weird part. She will start a sentence in German, but if she gets stuck and can't think of the German words, then her brain's natural tendency is to go to French, not English. 
She says, when grasping for the German words that aren't on that top shelf in my mind, French filler feels more appropriate than English. In other words, if she can't think of a German phrase, it's as if her brain knows that it's supposed to be looking for a language that isn't English, Mm -hmm. and so it reaches for French. And it turns out that she's not alone, and that linguists talk about what they call faulty language selection. It's not that polyglots don't know the correct words. They just can't produce them. And it almost always happens while they're speaking, not while they're writing. It's pretty common. Hmm, interesting. Do you have this problem? Uh, not so much. I mean, I don't speak three languages okay. actively, but I've talked to friends who have this problem, people who speak more than one language. Mm-hmm. And there's actually a really interesting blog called Sarah on Sabbatical that's run by Sarah Melanson, who's a professor at Valencia Community College in Florida. And she writes about how years ago she took a job at a hotel in Bavaria. And at that time, her strongest foreign language was French. And some tourists from France needed a translator. So, of course, she goes running up to help. And for the life of her, she couldn't stop translating into German for them. <laughs> she, and she actually had to stop and just write down her answers in French. Mm-hmm. And you hear this again and again that somehow the languages kind of short-circuit each other out. And it may be because of where our brain stores extra languages. You know, mm-hmm. it's different if you grow up bilingual. If you're a little kid and you're learning two different languages at one time, it gets stored in one particular part of the brain. But Mm -hmm. if you learn a language later, the second language gets stored in a slightly different area of the brain. The brain is a strange organ, isn't it? Yes. And I'm very curious to know if other uh, listeners of ours have had those experiences. Yeah, I'd love to hear from the people who speak more than two languages. What's it like to have four or five languages at your the tip of your tongue and yet keep them sorted, keep them solved, yeah. particularly people who are professional translators. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, a friend of mine describes it as flipping through a mental Rolodex, you know, Ooh, when nice. you're looking for them. I wonder if there's a gap there, a pause while you, you reconfigure, a right? A slight one, yeah. yeah. Tell us, we want to know, how are the languages working out for you? Three, four, five, however many it is. <laughs> How's that working out for you? <laughs> 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, Grant. Hi, Martha. Hi, who's this? Hi. This is Jolene Veenster calling from Hamilton, Ontario. Hi, Jolene. Welcome to the show. Well, um, I have something that I'm hoping you can help with, but it's because it's kind of been driving me nuts. And uh, I, I had to ask my husband about it, and we have the same issue. Um, if there's something that, let's say it's peanut butter or drugs or something, and you, you can't stop enjoying it, you would say that it's rather, I would say, addictive. Mm-hmm. And my childhood and through both of my English degrees, I've never been corrected in using the word addictive. And one day I heard somebody say addicting. I thought that's silly. That's the wrong word. And then I heard more people say it. And then I heard it on the news and then I heard it on the radio. And now I hear it more than the word addictive. And I'm starting to think that maybe I was wrong all along and nobody ever corrected me. And I don't know (laughs) if it's a living in Florida versus Canada thing because I have moved. Hmm. But I'm pretty sure I started hearing it in Florida. No kidding. Interesting. Addictive versus addicting. And they use both of those words for both of the same kinds of things, whether it's heroin or Yeah, like I don't know when I would use the word addicting, except Mm -hmm. maybe if somebody's trying to get you addicted to something. Uh I guess they could be uh addicting you. Yeah. But but I've I've heard so many people, and I've heard it on uh, national and international news and on the radio and everything, say, oh, I love this. It's just so addicting, you know. How interesting. it just it just doesn't seem right. I'm not sure there's much difference in the meaning. And you're certainly not wrong to use addictive. No, addictive is perfectly right. fine, but I think addicting is probably fine as well. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I, I don't know if we're all victim of the recency illusion, though, where it just yeah. feels more a frequency illusion, where it feels more recent and more frequent than it actually mm-hmm. is. Yeah, because, I don't know. I feel like I got to a certain, a certain point in my life when all of a sudden there is this switch, hmm. you know? There's a little nuance there, at least for me, and I don't know if I could ever prove this. I really probably should spend some time looking into this. That addicting is more about the quality of the person who is being affected, and addictive is more about mm. the thing that is in question, the substance or the or the drug, what have you. Uh, you mm-hmm. can have addicting video games. Um, I don't know. And it's more about the player being a, 
susceptible to it rather than the thing itself being inherently having that quality of causing addiction, where yeah, heroin well, has that quality of causing addiction. Yeah, when you talk about it as an inherent quality, it seems like addictive is a stronger word to me. Like addicting, it might happen, it might not. Hmm. It's still, oh, okay. you know, but, but that's just a gut feeling. Yeah. Right, right. But, like but, it might be used more flippantly. But morphologically yeah. and grammatically, there's nothing wrong with addicting. You might prefer addictive for, for clarity purposes because it's an older, more established term. But it sounds more clinical to me, more pharmaceutical. Mm, interesting, interesting. Okay, yeah. addicting sounds like you could use it for just about anything. Yeah, but I don't have a problem. Do you have a problem with addicting? I mean, you you said that your response well, is to say that it's the only it's problem wrong, I had with it wrong. was I didn't I didn't realize it was a word. Like I hadn't because I hadn't encountered it until I was at a certain point in university, and then all of a sudden it seemed. Uh, ubiquitous, you know? Hmm. Mm-hmm. English is just loaded with similar terms for similar things. I, uh, mm-hmm. I was thinking of instantly and instantaneously. Oh, and yeah, the, there's another just one. Just the, subtle, the subtleties there. Yeah. It's morphologically sound. It is a normal way okay. to make a word in English. Yeah. yeah. It's just you have right. a choice. If you prefer addictive, go for it. I, if you're an editor, maybe you could strike addicting and use addictive instead in the stuff that you're editing on behalf of other people. Yeah, I don't think there's right. any difference. Well, not being an editor, I will try to... Stop being affronted by the word addicting. <laughs> Thanks for calling, Jolene. Thank you, guys. Have right. a great day. Take okay, care. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye now. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. And you know you can find our show on iTunes and SoundCloud at no cost to you. Here's another made-up word from Emotionary.com. This word is feinderstand. Feign, pretend to understand? Yes, to pretend you finally heard another person after asking them to repeat themselves three times. <laughs> you know you know how you do that? You're yeah, just yeah. like, oh, whatever. Yeah, you just do a little <laughs> giggle and a look and then yeah. turn away and hope you didn't just agree to something that you don't want to do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Call us with your language questions, 877-929-9673. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, Martha. Hi. Hi, Grant. Hey there, what's up? Who is this? This is Jerry Pars calling from Hell's Kitchen in New York City. Hell's Kitchen <laughs> in the 50s, West Side. Hey, baby, how you doing? I'm doing great. It's like I old home week. <laughs> I'm at the real Hell's Kitchen here. Okay. What can we do for you? Well, I, uh, what was it? It was uh, some shows ago. You had a librarian, and the librarian called in, and she was all uh, going on about uh, how she had patrons and didn't have, uh, I believe it was customers. And I found that was interesting, and I agreed with her. I thought that a, that a person who patronized the library would be a patron. And uh, then I, I was standing in line at, uh, uh, well, our local, uh, one of our local drugstores, Dwayne Reed, and uh, the girl uh, at the cash register said, next guest, and I went to myself, guest? I'm a customer. I'm not a guest. And then I went to Starbucks at Starbucks. The person said, next guest, they were just throwing me off because I i don't believe that I'm a guest. And it, and it reminded me of, uh, of that other show in The Librarian. Well, why aren't you a guest? Uh, because to me, a guest is, uh, there's some amenities involved with a guest. If I'm paying for one particular product or something, like, you know, I want to buy a box of Kleenex, I go in and I buy a box of Kleenex. And there's nothing else attached to it. There's no other, you know, uh, to me, I think uh, as a guest, uh, somebody's going to say to me, uh, well, um, would you like another towel? Or I could say, hey, can I, have a, can I have another towel, please? You know, I'm a guest in a hotel. So you're expecting, you're expecting amenities and, and coddling. A service thing as opposed to a, a, a particular item. This is all corporate speak, though. This is one of the things that comes down from on high to call your customers guests to make them feel a little more welcome and take the transaction out of the relationship. Disney has been doing oh, this since the oh. 70s calling their visitors guests. Yeah, but I understand what Jerry is saying. Since I mean, the to 70s? Me, since the been? 70s, yeah. <laughs> to me, it sounds sort of, I don't know, overly familiar. You know, like like a politician who says, my friends, blah, 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 You know, it's like, it's a little bit contrived. I, at least that's what I think I hear you saying, Jerry. Is that right? Yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, it's, it's just, uh, yeah, I guess a, a, little, a little too familiar, a little too... Uh, yeah, you know, I, I expect them to like you know offer me a, a, a little chocolate or something to yeah you know, turn down service. Yeah. But for me, it's not just yeah, it's not just familiar and contrived. It, it it's also that 
it's transparent to me what they're trying to do. I, I don't right. like being manipulated by this this obvious change of language where they mm-hmm. want to make me feel more mm-hmm. welcome by changing the word that they call me. Mm-hmm. And there is a place for changing language in the workplace. But uh, this one is one of those, again, obvious, contrived, ham-handed things. Well, what should they say? I mean, I appreciate the effort on How about on just the one next? Hand. Well, in New York, they should say, next time line. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The summary here is I think that we agree with you that guest isn't really very useful. I don't have a big problem with it. I just kind of an eye roll thing. I'll still take my order and walk out. Mm-hmm. But, um, boy, I'd just really love oh, to talk certain, to these people. Certainly, but it just seems to link so closely to what your, uh, what your librarian uh, yeah. yeah, definitely. It's, it's a talking perfect about because, you know, she was... She was she was she was a bit offended by having to call people customers, and mm-hmm. here all of a sudden, you know, I'm 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 wanting to be called the customer, please. Jerry, we're going to help. Who's next? Okay. Okay. Thank you for calling. All right. Thank you for having me on. All Thanks, right. buddy. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. If you've got a problem with the way that you're talked to in a business transaction, I think there's a lot more mileage left in this topic. So give us a call, 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. Grant, here's another coined word involving emotion from Emotionary.com. This one is floptimism. Floptimism. It's when your optimism doesn't help you succeed after all. It's something like that. It's the futile advice or encouragement one offers for the sake of it, knowing the recipient's situation might not pan out well in reality. (laughs) Come on, you can do it. You can make it across that chasm. Exactly. (laughs) Go ahead, jump. It'll all work out. (laughs) 877-929-9673. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Mike from... Augustine, Florida. Hi, Mike. Right there on the coast. Welcome. Hi, Mike. How you doing? Hey, I'm doing well, thanks. What can we help you with? I have a, a phrase used by my mother-in-law. She's from Lake City, Florida, which is up kind of north and central in Florida. And uh, she will often say something to the effect of, for instance, if you were driving to her house and you lived two hours away and you got there an hour and a half, she'd say, man, you got here quicker than Goody's Moose. And so my question to y'all is, what is Goody's moose? You Goody's got here moose. quicker than Goody's moose. How do you spell Goody? You know, it have to be phonetic, but I would imagine kind of like G O O D Y or G U with an umlaut <laughs> or Goody's moose. So, she, moose. so it looks like it looks like Goody's, but it rhymes with moose. That's that's how I picture it. Oh, this is interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Is she so she's American. There anything unusual about her background or her language or anything at all? Nothing unusual, but like I said, she's from Lake City. It's it's uh, at least when she was growing up, it was kind of a very rural town. Mm-hmm. And uh, I asked her um, kind of where she picked it up, and she just said from her childhood. She does like it wasn't something her dad said necessarily, or maybe it was, but she doesn't really know. Hmm. And so you know, she she doesn't really have a clear line of where she learned it. This is a transposed version of the older version, which is Moody's Goose. The one that right. most people say is Moody's, or have said, is Moody's Goose. M-O-O-D apostrophe S, G-O-O-S-E, Moody's Goose. And what you would say is faster than Moody's Goose, or flew in like Moody's Goose, or ran off like Moody's Goose, some indicating speed and haste. Like, uh-huh. you're not only moving fast, but you're like, you're like a blur on the horizon. But who was okay. Moody, and what was his goose doing? Well, there's another, my question. there's another interesting happening here. That's not even the oldest form of it. The oldest form of it is Mooney's goose, M-O-O-N-E-Y apostrophe oh, S. Really? Yeah. And so if you do some digging on Mooney, Mooney's goose, you're going to find it from 200 years ago in no. places like a collection of Irish proverbs from 1813, Whoa. where the expression is, and I'll read this to you, full of fun and fooster like Mooney's goose. Now, fooster is a word that you don't know, and it's really hard to look up. But it turns out, if you look in the English Dialect Dictionary, it means full of um, bustling or fuss. So full of fun and fuss, basically, is what you're saying in there. So kind of active and lively and that sort of thing. Like a lot of energy on display, right? And so what we have here is a 200-year-old expression that's kind of been modified at least twice. Went from Mooney's Goose to Moody's Goose to 
Goody's Goody's Moose. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, it's fantastic, right? But we don't know who Mooney or Moody were. We have no idea. I'd love to think that there's some great folklore character named Mooney out there who had like a remarkable goose that pe- about which people told tales, but mm-hmm. I I don't have any evidence of it. Well, that is interesting. So so originally or at least as far back as you can tell us from it was Irish in origin. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah, and it comes up again and again in Irish collections of proverbs and folklore and that sort of thing. And it's not really until the early 1900s that it begins to transform and is almost always Moody's goose. And frankly, Goody's moose is really hard to find. It's almost never used. At least it's not in the historical record as far as I can tell. Well, next time I'm in Lake City, I will uh, ask the family if anybody else uses it if they have any memory of where where it came from? Yeah, like yeah, a, a, do like let a, us know. a grandparent or great yeah. aunt or like some well known you know joke telling storytelling yeah, neighbor that sort of thing. Show, yeah, yeah, radio show. Yeah, right. Thanks, Mike, for the I call. Let us know what she says. All right. Thanks for the information. Sure. Take care okay. now. Bye bye. Thanks, guys. Love your show. Bye. Thanks you. Thanks. Bye bye. This collection of Irish proverbs is is really rich, but one of the best ones in the whole book. And I'm not quite sure what it means, but it is. His eyes are like two burnt holes in a blanket. Whoa! <laughs> I assume that it means Whoa. you're really tired and you have circles under Whoa. your eye. Right? Whoa! His what eyes an image. are like two burnt holes in a blanket. Oh, he needs so, some rest. White complexion, but yeah. but yeah, bags under your eyes, wow. dark circles. That is vivid. <laughs> <laughs> you don't ever want to be that tired or that hungover, right? <laughs> Call us with your language question: eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. Here's another one of the Irish proverbs from 1813. Okay. This is about somebody who's cheap, a miser. Mm-hmm. He'd skin a louse and send the hide and fat to market. <laughs> oh, that's good. So cheap he would sell the louse's hide. <laughs> Share your words and phrases with us, 877-929-9673. Things have come to a pretty pass. That's all for today's broadcast, but don't wait till next week to chat with us. Join us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, or SoundCloud. Check out our website, too, waywardradio.org, where you'll find a dictionary, a newsletter, a language blog, mobile apps, and a discussion forum. And you can listen to hundreds of episodes of past shows for free. And you can leave us a message anytime at 877-929-9673. Share your family's stories about language or ask us to resolve disputes at work, home, or in school. You can email us, too. That address is words at waywardradio.org. Our production staff includes Stephanie Levine, Tim Felton, and James Ramsey. Away With Words is independently produced and distributed by Wayward, Inc., a nonprofit supported by listeners and organizations who believe in lifelong learning and better human communication. The show is recorded at Studio West in San Diego, California. Thanks for listening. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett. Adios. Ciao. Potato and I like potato. You like tomato and I like tomato. Potato, potato, tomato, tomato. Let's call the whole thing off. But oh, if we call the whole thing off, then we must part. Then that might break my heart So if you like pajamas and I like pajamas I'll wear pajamas Hey listeners, we have a favor to ask. We'd love for you to fill out our listener survey at gum.fm words. Your feedback is crucial. It's quick and it helps us make our show even better. It shapes our show, helps us plan, and ensures we're bringing you the content you love. That's G-U-M dot F-M slash W-O-R-D-S. Thanks for being a part of what we do. Thank you.